Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. She might be a first-term member of Congress, but no one in Michigan's delegation is getting more attention these days than Rashida Tlaib. As a member of the squad in the House, Tlaib has become one of the leading elected voices of resistance to President Trump. She recently took a visit to see the border detention centers. She has uh, talked a lot about immigration policy. She is talking about environmental justice here in southeast Michigan. And she joins us now to catch us up with her work and with what she sees unfolding over the next few months as we get ready for the 2020 election cycle. Rashida Welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. It's always great to have you here. We're all the squad, though. Uh, you're all the squad. We are all the squad. <laughs> if you believe in equity and justice, you are you can't, the squad. You can't draw lines, right? No, between no. people. <laughs> it's kind of a made-up thing. But it, look, I, 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 uh, I, I love that I don't feel alone. Yeah. Um, but for so many of us, all four of us, I mean, we have very much shared values, but uh, we also, we have our passions and, and the things that we work on, but so much of what we represent, uh, not only how we look, but our diverse, the diversity in our views and yeah. approach to public service has been something that I think people across the nation have, um, you know, fell in love with, but also uh, gained respect. And I love that the connection with members of Congress are now becoming stronger and people don't feel uh, so disconnected, right, from, huh. from, from United States Congress. Uh, they see so much of themselves in, in many of us now. So, so this, this label, the squad, which you guys embrace and, and celebrate, I, I feel, though, as though it's kind of a two-sided coin. I mean, you have other people who are using that as a pejorative. And something you just said, I think, um, really stands out, which is that I think there are a lot of people who want to portray all four of you as uh, like a hive mind, right? Like yeah. uh, the, as though there isn't real thought behind what you're saying and doing and as if there are no differences, right? I mean, this is something we see with people of color all the time, right? All the time. You're all you're all the same. You're all doing the same thing and they think the same way. They lump us up together yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, we 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 do love and respect each other, but yeah, like uh Congresswoman Ayanna Presley says, we're not some sort of insurgent. Many of us didn't even know each other before we got there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's start with the the news. Yesterday, you were in Calhoun County. Uh, visiting a jail that you say has an agreement with ICE to detain uh, immigrants. Uh, they did not let you in to see the conditions there, uh, but you did visit the border uh, and see um, uh, the, de- the detention centers there. Talk about this whole issue of how we are treating people who come to this country seeking asylum, seeking a better life. Uh, it is It is really different and starkly different, I think, than it was just a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, when I went to Calhoun County yesterday, I was prepared the possibility of them denying me entry. And we did um, get privacy releases uh, from a number of my residents who had loved ones there. So we requested to meet with them and with no privacy, uh, I had to go do it through a, a through a um, plastic, uh, like, you know, see-through kind of wall with the, with the telephone that you might see, mm. uh, te- you know, some people might see on TV uh, as the case. But one of the things that um, struck me is, you know, the, the continued dehumanization. That's what's so common of what I saw at El Paso. Uh, a, a woman who has severe PTSD is a, a survivor of human trafficking. 
was telling me that she's been here uh, for 10 days and has not got access to her prescription medication that she needs. She can't sleep. Uh, she, um, you know, says the food was so awful. It's, it's, it, it smells that somehow the plastic melts into the wow. into the food. It was disgusting. And uh, another one, um, uh, another woman uh, who really truly believes is a mistaken identity, and I believe her that she's like I was born here. I'm from Brooklyn, <laughs> you know. And she's like, uh, they're telling me that I'm I'm this person, and I'm like, no, I'm not. And I and I told her I'm hearing more and more of that. I heard another case in Grand Rapids where uh, somebody that was t- technically legally here, mm. uh, a veteran uh, who was a U.S. citizen. Uh, that was somehow put in pre-deportation proceedings. I think ACLU is looking into that. But even her, she told me she got there. She they they brought her in all the way from Ohio into Michigan to Calhoun County, and she had to sleep on the floor next to a toilet for three days. The commonality between what I heard and saw in El Paso and what I heard in from from these folks in in, in Calhoun County is the, the continued dehumanization of of people and uh, in, in really denying. Uh, access to a system that works, right? Yeah. There is no line. I, I get so frustrated when people say, well, they need to get a line. They need to do. I was like, one, you're already assuming that they're somehow guilty of doing something wrong. I'm like, many of them are coming and asking for asylum. Many are actually here. You know, this young woman came as a refugee from Iraq and, and she was trafficked between the age of 10 and 12. But for the broken immigration system, she is now tied into deportation proceedings and denied access to, I think, um, uh, you know, some sort of better treatment uh, and, and, and care that we should be providing. I mean, it is increasingly frustrating because if you look at the international human rights standards, uh, the United Nations, all folks would look at this and say, we are violating human rights. And talk about what the solutions are to this issue. I mean, we've gotten caught up, I think, in a in an argument about who's to blame and whether the Trump administration has, you know, accelerated this or enhanced all of this or whether, you know, the Obama administration was just as bad, which you hear from from some Republicans. But what you don't hear is is somebody saying, well, here's how we could do this better uh, and, and a, more humane. Well, it actually, there's a number of bills uh, that I co-sponsored and many of my colleagues support that, that one really talks about what those, uh, you know, basically taking the national detention standards and making them law, making them enforceable. Uh, the other really critical thing is what kind of medical care, you know, defining who vulnerable communities are. But more importantly, before all of this so-called, you know, uh, crisis at the border. Uh, and by the way, we've had more people show up at our border in the 80s than we do now. And detention was very unusual. One of the key things is recognizing that we have a broken immigration system that has nothing to do with our borders, <laughs> has more to do with the fact that right now I have neighbors, residents that are married to U.S. citizens that can't adjust their status here. Hmm. But for the fact that there is no pathway. Uh, I have young people this is all they know is this life here. I mean, if you look at the the gentleman, Johnny, that, that, that was deported to Iraq, who was schizophrenic, diabetic, who was born in a refugee camp in Athens uh, and came to this country, was deported within minutes without even talking to his family members. Nobody knew what happened. It is broken. And until we recognize the fact that it's so deteriorated internally here in the United States on our soil, uh, we're not going to be able to address uh, the broader issues that many of my colleagues keep continuing to bring up. It's very racialized. It's very hate-filled. Uh, it's very un-American. And I am so tired of this lazy approach 
that many of my colleagues take and just blaming, blaming, blaming. And like you said, never bring up solutions. Many of us have brought up solutions. You know, mine has always been centered around we have to stop criminalizing and militarizing communities of color with ICE. And, you know, in 2010, before this whole idea around abolishing ICE came about, 2010 in Southwest Detroit, not once, but twice, uh, they did operations in front of schools and churches against their own federal policy, mm-hmm. ICE did. And I called them out on it. And this was during the Obama administration. And and I remember specifically saying, you know, you all didn't exist before 2001. And we've never experienced it until you all came about. And this another layer of enforcement didn't is not keeping us safer. It's actually targeting us, my my neighbors, myself. I mean, I have folks that run around Clark Park, you know, jogging mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. exercising, being asked where what their status is. Uh, I've heard uh, by you know, ICE agents, by ICE agents. And, you know, some of them don't know who they are. You know, I say, well, what are they wearing? What? Are, oh, they're in a, in a blue and white car and it says field operations. OK, well, that might be not be. It could be the folks. And those folks are supposed to stay at the border. Yes. Stephen, they're supposed to stay at the border. And they're not supposed to be patrolling the neighborhoods. And that's what's so frustrating. ICE has not been audited. It's such a layer of layer. And there's all these different titles. And one thing I heard even in La Paso even the CPP uh, border patrol agents were telling me stop throwing money at it. That one particular one said, "I wasn't trained to separate children or ba- take care of children. I'm not a medical court worker, nor am I a social worker. I was here to work at the border to make sure no drugs, criminal activity was happening, and push back on that." Uh, even as 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 early as uh, like a month ago, an ICE agent was saying, "That's exactly what they're doing is patrolling. They're not telling you that." But they're in Southwest Detroit patrolling. And that's why your neighbor of eight years, my neighbor, got picked up. I mean, he has not done anything wrong. He has has a beautiful, beautiful daughter. And but for the fact that, you know, he has relatives that could be petitioning for him, but he cannot adjust his status here. And we've been able in the past do these Band-Aid approaches. Reagan did it. Clinton did it. um, But we haven't actually gone in and did an overhaul of how do we allow immigrant neighbors that have been here that are in line, a so-called line that's mm-hmm. not even ziggly, it's it's sometimes broken up. <laughs> right. uh, it should not take, you know, 20 years to be reunited with your family members. It shouldn't even take four or five years for your asylum case to be heard. It shouldn't take this long. Um, I, I want to ask about uh, the approach that you and uh, the other members of the squad have taken uh, to this issue and others inside Congress. I mean, as much as you're getting after the president for the awful things that he's saying and the the, the crazy policies that uh, that are unfolding, you're also trying to challenge uh, Democratic leadership to think differently about these things. And and there has been some criticism of the way that you guys have done that. That uh, that you're freshmen in in Congress and. You know, uh, there's some expectation that you'll take a seat and wait your turn and do what you're told for 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 a bit before you try to, you know, uh, try to be in charge. Um, There's also this criticism that somehow you're splitting the party uh, and distracting from the work that uh, leadership wants to do. How, How do you how do you see the role that you guys are playing and is it is it productive? Is it is it a way of moving forward? And I I get up. I get a be honest, like even as I got there, I mean, I ran on abolishing ICE. Yes. I ran on Medicare for you All. You said all this stuff before. I mean, it's not just abolishing ICE. It's also Medicare for All and us pushing the envelope on that and saying we need hearings. We need to be pushing forward on something that is closer to universal health care, humane treatment of folks in the healthcare system. 
And we've, we've done it even around college debt. Again, these are not uh, ideas that have been adopted or embraced by leadership, but that did not does not mean that uh, we're not going to be, you know, representing the district. I mean, my 13th congressional district is the third poorest in the in the country. We're in the northern border. Uh, I come from a perspective. I grew up uh, with, you know, immigration agents roaming around my neighborhood. Uh, I grew up hearing about uh, folks that didn't have access to health care and dying because they didn't get their insulin. I've, you know, lived uh, next to folks that. Tell me, you know, Rashida, I can't even buy a house because of my college debt. Mm. Like this is, I have a mortgage payment, and that's not uh, for a house, but for my from the college from education. From my college it's debt. Not, yeah. and, and they're like, all I want to do is better my life and go get a job, and I'm not getting, you know, it's not resulting in a better quality life for me. All of that is to say this: I've been told, even by Speaker Pelosi, represent my district, and that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, many of us ran on these issues, and we're representing our district. My district does not expect me to bow down to someone that represents an area that is not theirs uh, or bow down to ideals uh, that uh, that are not matching to theirs. And that's all I can do is represent them, Hmm. many of which have told me move forward, continue to fight hard because these are years and days that we I can't get back for them. And uh, if anything, we are inspiring a base of folks that we're not inspired before and who sat home in 2016 exactly in large part, not right? only that in 2016 uh you know he won uh, michigan by what 10 10 000 votes mm-hmm. but even at close to 100 000 people came to the polls and and got in line and and skipped the top of the ticket uh there is some inspiration to look at the fact that somebody like me that now represents a predominantly non-muslim non-arab community somebody like me i mean people always said well i voted for you because you're different uh, you don't take corporate PAC money. You're not going to sell us out. They wanted different, and they wanted somebody that was truly, truly um, centered around these ideals, around social justice issues. And from from the beginning, I think, uh, you know, I've been very clear uh, with not only leadership, but even my colleagues, like, look, this is not us dividing. We're not singling anybody out for their particular views. We are inspiring a whole movement, I think, in our country that is about people like myself finally running for office and being there because half of my colleagues in Congress are millionaires. They're completely disconnected with the American people. They're never truly going to understand. I mean, I had colleagues that said, you know, why are federal workers, when the shutdown happened, the first two weeks I was there, that's all we were working with was the crisis of the federal shutdown. Why are they at the food bank line? Why can't they go get a loan? Right. That's how disconnected folks are. They don't understand that people can't afford their insulin. They can't afford their auto insurance because of discriminatory practice by the auto insurance industry. So it can go on and on, Stephen. But I didn't get elected to support you know, a particular group of folks within my caucus. I, I, I was elected to represent my district. Yeah. Uh, my guest is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 13th congressional district. We're talking about the role she has carved out for herself in a very fast period of time uh, in Congress, a role that has gotten her a national profile uh, as one of the leaders of opposition to President Donald Trump, one of the sta- staunchest critics of 
the country's immigration policies in particular. Uh, we're talking about the work that she's doing and going to talk about what's coming up next year in 2020 when she has to run again, but also the president of the United States will be on the ballot. If you want to join the conversation, have a question for the congresswoman, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation here. Uh, Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, what's on your mind? Yes, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. Congresswoman, you're doing a great job. Uh, You recently held hearings regarding affordable housing in Detroit. And I'd like to ask, would Congress uh, consider uh, guarantees uh, before releasing more money from the hardest hit fund uh, to keep people in their homes and prevent things like municipal tax foreclosures and water shutoffs? Hmm. Uh, great question, Jean. Uh, these are huge issues in your district. Rashida. Yeah, huge. And, um, you know, the idea was in the first year we were going to bring Congress to the 13th Congressional District, not only once, but we we're also having another hearing September 16th at Kemeny Recreation Center in the zip code of 48217 South Schaefer, just around air and water quality. But even at that housing crisis um, committee hearing at Wayne County Community College, Chairman Al Green specifically asked, what are some of the next steps? What came out of that is a full investigation and basically discriminatory practices that have been done under uh, under the Fair Housing Act. But there were discussions on all levels of government, including, you know, the fact that water bills are being tagged on to tax bills and how that fed into the worst uh, tax foreclosure crisis. It was in Wayne County of all this, any other county in the state. Uh, And there was also pushback in um, this idea around, you know, banks are lending uh, to uh, our folks and and, and pushing back on that and saying, no, you know, Michigan lost more black home ownership than any other state in the country. And that all came out. And these are specific next steps was an investigation into those violations, really taking a look into the Community Reinvestment Act and actually putting teeth into that, which requires banks to really loan uh, to communities of color to really uplift low, moderate income neighborhoods. And, you know, lastly, it, it brought to light the fact that we continue to have a, a broken system within our um, tax foreclosure process here in Wayne County. I mean, we all know many people were foreclosed, even though their homes were not assessed as they were constitutionally required. Uh, they had a constitutional right to that. Uh, many still to this day are suffering because of the tag on of the water bill to their property tax uh, uh, taxes. And people need to know that's 18 to almost, you know, 18 percent interest rate and, sure. and late fees and all these things that are tagged on. Most of my folks own their own home. Right. It's just the tax process and how that um, really has led to kind of a for profit uh, scheme uh, on the foreclosure auction process. I mean, I went to a woman, I was at her door, Stephen, and she was like, somebody bought the lot next to me, Rashida. I, I could pay my house um, taxes and it was less than like $1,000, but I was going to pay this other one. I just I just needed to save up the money. It was just a side lot, probably small enough just for a um, a drive driveway if mm-hmm. she wanted one. Uh, and and she found out somebody from China bought it. I, yeah, there's a lot there's of... There's a lot of that. And but that is at all different levels of government. So 
I'm going to push back and, and on the banks and as, as I sit on financial services, and we've already started doing that. I'm going to push back and say we need to look at land contracts and regulating land contracts to the way where my folks are not scammed out of their homes um, because of these LLCs and investors coming and buying, you know, not not one or two, but hundreds, hundreds at yeah. a time. Yeah. And so, I, Gene, you're absolutely right. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I would encourage folks to also contact their state legislators and say, I think this is time that we pull off and stop tagging on more to our tax bills, including making it hard of it makes it much more difficult. Yeah, Uh, Gene, again, thanks for the call and the questions before we get to break here quickly. Let's uh, take Charlie and Delray, one of uh, Rashida's constituents. Charlie, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, good morning. Congratulations on winning your seat. Don't go back. Stay here. (laughs) Um, You know, we've got a real bad air quality problem here in Southwest Detroit and I just want to know what, if anything, can be done about it with the present administration. I go buy a metal company that's got piles of iron dust, you know, a block long, and, Hmm. you know, they try to clean it up, but it's in the air everywhere down here, and we've silently been breathing this stuff and being killed for years. Yeah, Charlie. I know it's an issue you care about, and I just want to know what, if anything, can be done at you know, with the present uh, Congress and administration. Great question, Charlie, and uh, stay tuned to the rest of the show where we're going to be talking about the presidential candidates, the Democratic presidential candidates, and what they're saying about air quality and climate change and those other things. But uh, Rashida, go ahead and, uh, and yeah. answer them. Charlie, you're absolutely right. I mean, I grew up thinking that smell was normal. I, I didn't. I thought that many trucks on our in our local neighborhoods was normal. I, I you know. I am so taken aback by the lack of accountability on corporate polluters, especially not only in Southwest Detroit, but now I'm even seeing it on the east side with, you know, even the big three. I mean, Chrysler on the east side is one of the biggest polluters, but people kind of look away because it's it's one of the big threes. But understand this, we can't give up um, for better air quality for jobs because jobs can't fix cancer. And nor can we continue to bow down and, uh, you know, allow them 20 something days to adjust whatever kind of violation that they've had in the past. There actually has to have real enforcement, real accountability. And we're moving forward on the Green New Deal. We're moving forward on pushing back. And, and, you know, there should be certain toxins on the EPA toxic list. There should be more inspectors on the ground holding them accountable. The one issue that I I'm always taken aback is, well, there, there isn't anything we can do. I said, no, no, no. I go into classrooms and, and during March reading month, and I always ask before I leave, how many kids here have asthma? A third of the class will always raise their hand. Mm. And I always tell them, you know, my job is I'm trying to protect our air because it's not like we can eject cleaner air. And then I go on to tell them, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, this is not really happening. But let me tell you, when you when I was your age, and these are second and third graders, I would go into a class, uh, go into a restaurant with my parents and and they would say non-smoking or smoking section. And then they say, how many people in your party? You all walk in and they just ask how many people in your party? Because guess what? We did a smoking ban, even though scientists, others have told us, have told us in the past secondhand smoking was worse, not only for kids, but for anybody. And we kept denying it because corporate greed was fueling the mis information out there about what it was being injected into our air, uh, what was actually being um, uh, even now currently discussions about our water quality, all of that. So I say to you, Charlie, 
September 16th, we're bringing Congress to the 13th Congressional District. Mm. And I don't, I'm not going to Kobo or any place, which is great. <laughs> I'm taking them into the neighborhood because I want to want them to smell yeah. what you all smell. I want their nose hairs to start burning because that's exactly what happens to you when you're near Marathon or AK Steel or U.S. Steel or any of these big corporate polluters. By the way, who have number of consent agreements with the federal government, Department of Justice, that has yet to even really push them to actually comply with the Clean Air Act. Okay, Rashida Tlaib, Democrat who represents Michigan's 13th District. Always great to see you here home in Detroit. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. All right, up next, we are going to talk about the Democratic presidential candidates and their ideas about climate change and air pollution. Whose ideas are standing out to you? Stay with us on Detroit Today.